And I'm going to ask you to take a copy of the scripture and turn to Romans chapter 8 this morning. Romans 8. Our theme for the last couple of Sundays and including today as well is sanctification. Sanctification can be defined as dedication to God and separation from everything that God hates, namely sin. This is the earnest desire and the growing experience of every single Christian. Now, we've been reminded of a couple of truths over the last couple of weeks in Romans chapter 6 through 8. I'm really just treating these in a very summary fashion, but essentially we saw in Romans chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7 a couple of weeks ago that Christians are definitively sanctified by virtue of our union with our Holy Lord. We are definitively, once for all, completely, utterly made holy viewed as holy in the sight of God because of our union with the Holy Lord Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, then you are a saint. As hard as that is to believe when you compare it to your actual experience at certain moments, it is true that all of those who are truly in Christ are holy before the sight of God. They have his righteousness as their own. And in that sense, in that sense alone, can they be said to be absolutely and perfectly holy before a just God. This is sanctification viewed from the perspective of our position before God. Sometimes we call it positional sanctification. And last week, we were reminded of this, that we are experientially sanctified through a lifelong but progressive struggle against the flesh. Not only are we sanctified in terms of our position before God, but in this sense, sanctification is viewed as a process. We're continuing to experience to a greater and greater degree the reality that is already ours in Christ Jesus. And this is the way it works for everyone who belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. They experience actual growth in holiness in their soul imperfectly but progressively over the course of their lives. And so the application was to never give up fighting against our sin, our flesh. The old remnants of that life outside of Christ that clings so closely to us that we continue to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a progressive and lifelong struggle against the flesh. What I want to do um, to bring this little short series to a close here this morning is to talk today about the means by which Christians are progressively sanctified. So I want to take that second thing, that idea of being 
progressively sanctified throughout our lives. And I want to talk about the means by which that happens in our lives. And the text um, is Romans chapter 8. And we're going to read quite a bit. I'm not going to go really verse by verse through the text today. But um, this is uh, the foundation for everything that I want to say this morning. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verses 1 through 17. There is therefore now no condemnation. These are some of the greatest words in all the Bible. Amen? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Remember last week we talked about the two realms or the two reigns, uh, the reign of sin and death and the reign of grace in Christ, the reign of the Spirit. Verse 3, here's how it happened. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So God has saved us. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law, but not just as an end in itself for the further purpose that we may actually experience by the power of the Holy Spirit the outworking of the righteous requirement of the law all along. Not as an external uh, force that we need to yield to in order to have a relationship with God, but as an internal desire implanted by the Holy Spirit that we find drives our Christian experience. And so he goes on and says in verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot Those who are just in the flesh cannot please God. But then he says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Holy Spirit who dwells in you. That's the end of the work of the Holy Spirit, right? You have the beginning. He unites us to Christ. And we're justified before God and the ongoing work of the Spirit as He continues to sanctify us progressively. And then the final work of the Spirit when He glorifies us, raises our bodies to immortality and confirms our souls in perfect righteousness. Then verse 12, He goes on to say, So then, brothers, here's the application. So then, brothers, sisters, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. 
Because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Holy Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now look down at verse 26, and let's just look a couple verses here. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Before our glorification, while we're still here in this earthly weakness, He helps us. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. I think the key word in this passage in the book of Romans chapter 8 is probably not hard to spot. It's used 20 times in this chapter. Anybody want to take a guess and holler it out? Spirit. Yeah, somebody said it. Nailed it. And here's a key verse. Look at verse 13 again. In verse 13, Paul writes that it is by the Spirit that we put to death the deeds of the body. That is, those natural, sinful words and actions that so often characterize us. It is by the Spirit. In other words... The Holy Spirit is the primary agent of God's sanctifying grace. Talking about this ongoing, progressive, sanctifying grace of God that characterizes a Christian's life, the primary agent of God's grace is His indwelling Spirit within us. The development of true moral goodness is not merely by following a certain formula, right? God doesn't give you 12 steps to becoming a holy person or 10 keys or five pillars or three secrets or anything like that. No, this is not a formulaic righteousness or holiness this is the interaction of a believer with God himself in the person of the Spirit. This is, the, this is God himself transforming that person's heart. Sanctification, in other words, is a work of God. 
It's a work of grace. It's a work of the Spirit. It is only by the Spirit that we have true life, that we have spiritual life. Spiritual life in us is the breath of God, the breath of life. In fact, the the word for spirit is uh, in both the Hebrew Old Testament, ruach, and in the Greek, pneuma, is both also the word that can be translated just as the common word for breath or wind. It is the breath of God that breathes life into us spiritually, and that life comes in the form of the of, of the person of the Holy Spirit who indwells the hearts of believers and is God's, it, 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 he is the agent of, of change in our lives. The Spirit is the agent of God's sanctifying grace. Now, some people look at this phrase, by the Spirit that we are, that it is by the Spirit that we put to death the deeds of the flesh and think that that means something like the fact that we should just let go and let God make us holy, that we can be passive, and we must, in fact, be passive if we will have a true righteousness or a true sanctification or holiness. It must be God's work, and so that means we must be passive. Now, is God the one who brings sanctification in our lives? Yes or no? Is it God? Yes. Does that mean we need to be passive? No. Work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Philippians chapter 1. Closely connected with that false assumption that we should be passive is also the false assumption that that the Holy Spirit brings about sanctification sort of automatically or immediately. And by immediately, I don't mean right away, but rather that he does it without any mediation, without any, um, any means that he changes our lives directly without using anything to bring about that change. That, I say, is a false assumption. Because the Lord, in the person of the Holy Spirit, uses means to bring us to a place of holiness in our lives, to to growing experiences of holiness. And of course, in a broad sense... These means of grace can be anything. Uh, The Bible says in this text, all things work together for our good, right? But there are certain means that the Holy Spirit ordinarily uses. And by ordinarily, I mean that he commonly or frequently uses them, but also in the sense that these are the means that are ordained. In fact, you might call them ordinances, God has specifically prescribed certain means for your sanctification and growth in holiness, in dedication to God and hatred of everything that is sin and separation from it. The ordinary means of grace are described, for example, 
in the second London Baptist Confession from 1689. In chapter 14, it reads this way. The grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts. That's what we've seen, right? And it is ordinarily wrought, there's our term, it is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by which also, and by the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer, and other means appointed by God, it is increased and strengthened. That's the sanctification process. The doctrine of the means of grace. It reminds us, on the one hand, that sanctification is a work of God. It's grace, right? But it reminds us, on the other hand, that we must diligently put ourselves in the path of grace by laying hold of the means that God uses. And what I want to do this morning is simply to sort of make application, essentially, to give five applications regarding how the Spirit of God uses means to sanctify us and how we should lay hold of those means of sanctifying grace. This is the kind of sermon, you know, there are some kinds of sermons that the pastor and the text is intending for us to believe something or to feel something, to desire something, to think a certain way. And all of that's true in, in, in probably every text, but this one in particular, this sermon in particular, is designed to remind us of what we should go and do. And so I want to remind you, from the outset, remember the warning of our brother James, who said that we must be careful that we're not deceiving ourselves as only hearers of the word and not doers of the word. So what must we do to be sanctified? Sanctification is the work of God, and yet he uses means, and we are to lay hold of those means and work out our own salvation as God himself works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I want to make five applications. Number one is this, and this will be the longest one, so don't panic when I get to the end of it. Think the rest of them are going to be the same. But number one is this, that sanctification comes through spiritual words. Sanctification comes through spiritual words. You know, if the Holy Spirit were going to speak to you, what do you think he would say? In 2009, I wrote about an experience that I had in my journal. I'll just read you that little section because it was a really memorable experience in my life. I wrote, in my journey of struggle against my old flesh, there are times when I am tempted to call it quits, to give up and to give in to my sin and failure to tire of the struggle and seek my ease. To lose heart that I can grow 
and change. And then I said, but when I was studying this for this past Wednesday's message, and all of a sudden, God spoke to me right there in my office. I heard his voice. It was as clear as day. And here's what the voice said. Consider Christ who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you would not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. How sweet it is to hear the Spirit's voice. Have you ever had times like that? When you heard the Spirit of God speaking to you, and by that I don't mean what I often encounter when I hear people say that. You know, I've heard people say, well, the Holy Spirit told me or the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And then they go on to talk about their dreams and aspirations. When the Holy Spirit speaks, he sounds like the Spirit. And the Spirit-inspired words are found in the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says, take note. He says, we, that is the apostles, impart this, that is the New Testament scriptures, we impart this in words that are not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Paul acknowledged that the words that he penned The gospel that he preached was, in fact, inspired by the Holy Spirit. They were the Spirit's words. Or, for example, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, uh, Paul says that the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. Peter, in Acts chapter 1, verse 16, says this. The scripture he, he preached, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke. This is the view of the Bible writers, of the scripture, that it was, that it is the very words of the Holy Spirit of God himself. The Spirit works through the word, the word of God. As it was in the beginning, tis now and ever shall be, Right in the beginning, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, hovered over the face of the earth, right? And then God spoke and he said, let there be. And the spirit breath of God went to work, bringing it into fruition. The word of God was carried on the breath of God, so to speak, to accomplish the purpose of God. And that's the way it works in sanctification. The word of God carries the power of the spirit of God, the very testimony of God to bring about the purpose of God in our lives. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 34, he whom God sent, talking about himself, he whom God sent utters the words of God For he gives the Spirit without measure. His reasoning 
for talking about uttering the words of God or, or the support for that was that he gives the spirit. Giving the spirit is the same as, as giving the word of God. It's the word of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 6, verse 63. The words Jesus said that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And it's the word of God that God, the spirit, uses to sanctify you. But what is the primary means of grace in your life? How will I ever learn to be more dedicated to God and more separate from all of the sin that, that so pollutes the old man? And the answer is the word, the word of God that the spirit uses. And he says it very clearly with regard to our sanctification in, in James chapter 1, verse number 12, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, right? That's part of that, that sanctification, putting away the old flesh, put away the filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So here's the way it works. God brings sanctification about through the avenue of faith by the agent of his spirit using the means of his word. And if you would be more holy, then you need more of the implanted word, more of that seed of the spirit implanted within you. Put yourself, brothers, sisters, young people, put yourselves in the path of the Holy Spirit's power. Listen to the word of God. And I recognize that I'm preaching to people who are sitting here listening to the word of God, and I want to tell you to continue to listen to the word of God and to listen to the preaching of the word of God, to listen to it more earnestly, more faithfully than you have before. Every good sermon is God's sanctifying grace in your life. And as you listen, I'd encourage you to pray before you get ready to hear the word of God on a Saturday night, on a Sunday morning, even as the service begins to start to pray. Lord, pray three things. Lord, open my eyes. That's the first thing. Open my eyes. Let me see. Because without your grace, I'm, I'm blind. And secondly, Lord, renew my mind. Challenge and change and sharpen my thinking. And then, Lord, revive my heart. Strengthen my affections, my desires, what I should feel from this text. And, and as, as I see and as my mind is changed and as my affections and desires are stirred for the Lord, then I go out and I will live differently. There is no doubt about it. When you come, listen to the word Listen to the word with that kind of expectancy. We are so blessed to have the freedom to gather like this week after week after week. And we may have taken it for granted for too long. Let it not be that we wouldn't have the freedom, but lay hold of that means of grace. Every believer ought to be under the preaching of the word of God every Lord's day. This is so vital 
It is the means by which the Spirit sanctifies. And we are blessed. We are blessed not only to be able to hear the Word of God and to hear sermons in church, which is the primary way we should hear them, but also even during the week. And I would encourage you to lay hold of of audio recordings, of, of good sermons, good preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Sermon audio is a great resource. There are plenty of other places. I'm not giving you a lot of specifics. I can, I can help you with that. If you don't know where to turn to find good sermons, more than happy to help. But lay hold of the Word of God, the preaching of the Word. Hear the Word. Listen to the Word. Read the Word. Read the Word of God. I want to encourage you in two regards, uh, in two, two specifics regarding this. Number one, to read the whole counsel of the Word of God. Why? Because every single word is inspired. Even those ones that are hard to understand, those ones that we cannot figure out what the significance is for ourselves. Every word of God is inspired, and so every word is important. Read through the Bible. I'd encourage you to do that. No Christian should go year after year after year after year after year in his Christian experience in our day with the access that we have and not read the Bible, not read the whole Bible. Maybe you're sitting here, you've never read the whole Bible. Maybe you've read parts of it. And all of the Word of God is, is, is important. But, I, but I'd encourage you to, to try to, to begin a plan, whether it's over a course of a year or two years or three years or ten years, uh, but, but to read through the Bible, to get the big picture of the Word of God. You know, there is a lot you want to understand. There's some, I, I will tell you honestly, I, I, still, I still puzzle over and I say to myself, what am I supposed to make out of this? Well, some of it, you just don't understand what it means. But a lot of it, I'm try, I, I would struggle at first to understand what's the significance of this for me as a Christian living right now here today. And, you know, it is, it is a struggle. You say, well, how will this prophecy against Tyre help me to overcome envy? <laughs> right? Or how will this account of building the tabernacle help me to get victory over my anger? Or how will reading this genealogy today help me to be more in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I want to remind you is this. The Bible is not just a book of principles to be a better person. Because that's sometimes what we're sort of looking for. We're looking for certain steps or certain keys or certain you know, elements of thinking that will, that will just help us right now in the thing that we're struggling with right now. The Bible is not just a book of strategies, much less a book of rules. It is not the way sanctification really works. What is transforming is seeing God in all of his glory. And that takes a whole Bible to do. That's what's at the heart of real biblical sanctification. When I was a kid, I remember people would make these little booklets uh, there were these booklets that went around that would pull certain Bible verses and put them all together um, under certain topics. Anger, here's a bunch of verses about anger. Theft, here's a bunch of verses about theft. And those, I'm not speaking against those, but God didn't give us a book like that. They have their place. There are cert certain passages that become precious to us in a moment, needful in a moment. And I'm actually going to talk about that. But the, But God revealed not just a certain set of principles or strategies, he, he revealed himself in a whole story and in, in all of the ways that it takes for us to know God. A whole Bible, and I'd encourage you to read the whole Bible. 
like that. But not only to read the whole counsel of God, but also to meditate on and to memorize specific words of God. Specific statements. You know, a verse, a short passage, a chapter, little paragraphs that become like short swords. You know, the Bible says the word of God is the sword of the spirit. You need these little short swords, these little daggers that you can wield easily and that are particularly effective in the fight against the enemy. You need to have to be able to lay hold of very quickly to come to your mind little statements of the word of God that you have thought about deeply in context with the, with the, the, the broader chapter and the book and, and the whole of the scripture, but, but passages that, that are helpful in your struggle for sanctification. Do you have a list like that somewhere? Maybe it's just a mental list. I started finally putting them down on paper. Um, and and the goal is to, to go through one every week and just meditate on that one in particular. But so often the Lord, will, the Holy Spirit will bring his own words like this back to my mind. Let me just give you a few of mine. This just to kind of whet your appetite or to explain what I'm talking about. Some of these little short daggers that the Spirit brings to mind that just help in the moment. Isaiah 8, verse 17, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob and I will hope in him. Psalm 25, verse 3, indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he who began a good work in you will continue to bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. These are all encouragements in the time when I feel I'm struggling so much. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who called you is faithful who also will do it. You know, sometimes I just say that last part in my mind. I think about all the rest, but here's what I say to myself. He who called you is faithful, he also will do it. When I'm discouraged, when I'm struggling, he who called you is faithful, he also will do it. You say it to the devil, you say it to yourself, you say it back to God in prayer. That's the way you fight sin. Luke chapter 11, verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, he who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him graciously give us all things? If He did the greater, shall He not much more do the lesser? If He did the hardest, will He not do much more continue that work in you? And then I have those reminders, those instructions, those warnings that I need for my soul to help me in times when I'm tempted to grow complacent. When Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. That's what I need. That's what will sustain me, doing the will of God. Or Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. I still remember when the Holy Spirit spoke that one to me out of the blue, and I needed it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 17, I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What a warning that is. Or Isaiah chapter 55, verse 2, why do you spend your money for that which is not food and your labor for that which does not satisfy? You fool. 
I need to hear that in my head again and again. And you know how you'll hear it is if you have it in your head, if you've memorized it, if you've meditated on it deeply. Mark, uh, John, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 15, verse 13, even Christ pleased not himself. How dare you? That's what comes to my mind. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Hebrews chapter 12, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, the verse I read earlier. Hosea 6, verse 3, let us press on to know the Lord. All of these can serve as reminders and and, and instruction and warning. And then when we fall, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Luke 18, 13. Or Micah 7, this is another blessing and encouragement, even in my failure. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy, when I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out into the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Or Revelation 21, he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And my heart says, Lord, hurry up. You're making all things new in me seem so slow. Is it ever going to happen? Will it fall by the wayside? And the very next word out of God's mouth from the throne of heaven is, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. How can that be? He says, because it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I started it in you. I will finish it in you. I am making all things new. So it's learning, and I want to encourage you, please, brothers and sisters, go out and, and, and find these verses. As you hear the word, as you're reading the word, lay hold of these statements and let them become a part of you. That's the means that God uses to bring about your sanctification. Grab a book that is filled with the word and let that direct you not as a replacement for the word, but direct you back into the word to cause you to dig into the word. There are so many, thank God for good teachers out there. There are so many, and we can grab hold of the books that God has made uh, available for us. Consider, consider just for a moment how much time you spend watching movies, how much time you spend watching sports in a week. And brothers and sisters, Let us be people of the word. Consider how little time we spend reading good books. And then we wonder sometimes why we are so weak spiritually. It's because all we feed our mind on are the things that are passing away. In Colossians chapter 3, the Bible tells us to let the word of Christ dwell in us Richly. I love that phraseology. Let the word dwell in you richly. Let the word take up lavish residence in your mind. Let it upholster your mind with the rich tapestries of God's thoughts. Memorize the word. There's a dear sister in Christ whose mind, she testifies, has been utterly transformed by the memorizing of the word of God, still carrying around those little laminated verse cards. So it is for everyone who walks in the ways of the Lord. Stop talking about memorizing the Bible and just decide this week you're going to go do it. You say, well, I need a plan. 
you know, yeah, that's a good thing, but sometimes making plans keeps you from actually doing a plan. You ever notice that? Just go home and memorize, pick a verse and start memorizing it this week. Get it done by the end of the week, and then, lo and behold, wake up next week and do the same thing. It's not that hard. Don't procrastinate. So this is the great means that the Spirit uses to sanctify us. Now, quickly, I want to move on to some other applications. There is a a second means of sanctifying grace, I think you could say, and that is Spirit-filled, Word-filled people. The Spirit uses people. That is, those whom He indwells, whose minds are filled with the word. To, he uses them to speak truth into our lives, to encourage us to, to live the faith out with us together and so be a means of God's grace in our life. In other words, we're talking about the church. We're talking about the body of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 is one of the key verses you probably have known it all your life. We read it earlier this morning, um, or read that from that passage, the warning that we should not go on sinning deliberately. Well, how do we preserve ourselves from going on and sinning unrepentantly, deliberately. One of the great means that God helps gave us to help us from that is this. Verse 24, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. It is the gathering of God's people that is um, one of the great means of grace that the Spirit uses to sanctify us. Hearing the word of God week after week after week in the community of accountability that is the local church. This is God's ordinary means of grace. But of course the Spirit uses not only the preaching of the word of God from the pulpit, but privately In our Christian community, he uses our exhortation of one another, our encouragements, our rebukes, our instruction, the examples that we are to one another. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, If anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, filled with the Spirit, filled with the Word, you go and restore such a person. The Spirit of God uses people. And of course, he gives various gifts to the church as he wills. He gives to one the gift of giving, the gift of ruling, the gift of encouragement, the gift of teaching, the gift of serving, the gift of discernment. So brothers, encourage one another. Speak to each other. Exhort. Uphold. Rebuke. Correct. Pray together for each other. This is the community where the Spirit of God works to bring us to a greater experience of holiness. And don't forget fellowship with dead people. (laughs) Uh, My wife and I love to go walk around graveyards. It's just a weird thing with us. I don't exactly mean that, but fellowship with those who've walked before us, who have learned the faith, and by their writing have passed it on to us, Commune with Spurgeon and Calvin and Ryle and Sproul, who being dead yet speak. The Spirit of God uses 
or God uses to sanctify us, spirit-filled, word-filled people. Thirdly, another means of sanctifying grace is spiritual singing that is rich with the word. You see, in every case, it's the spirit and the word working together. This is the means by which God sanctifies us. And in this case, the particular expression of the spirit and the word is found in our singing. And of course, this is very biblical. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, or excuse me, verse 18, the Bible tells us, look, and here's the parallel in, in Colossians, and you'll see how they match up. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Colossians says it this way, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. These songs are filled with the Spirit in the sense that they are filled with the Word. And so Spirit filled people gathering together to sing the word of God is a means of grace in our lives. The Spirit's work is accompanied by musical praise that also functions to teach and admonish each other. So in that sense, I say it is a means of grace to one another. This is why it is important to have Music that is full of sound doctrine, right? Because it's supposed to do what? To teach and admonish one another. Music is one of the church's most important teaching tools. It is the instrument for admonition and sanctification of its members one of the instruments that God uses. It may be that when you come into the church here, into our church, our particular body, that you may feel like the music is not what you're used to. Maybe it sounds more formal or more um, stodgy or whatever. I don't know the right term. Maybe it just feels different. But it is intentional. It is reverent. And it is our great desire that it be word-filled. And I want to just encourage you that to come and sing. Not sit merely, but to sing. And, and to focus more on the meaning of what you're singing than anything else about the music or how it sounds or whatever. To think and let the word in connection with the music to unite us together around the truth and to stir our affections to greater love for the Lord. Even recorded Christian music, if it's really rich in the word, can be a kind of a sanctifying influence. How often, I think, does music set my thinking straight? I'll tell you this, there have been times when I've been so mentally preoccupied that when I sat down to read the scripture or even to pray, I just could hardly keep my thoughts going for more than a minute or so. Have you ever been like that? But what I have found in those times when I'm so spiritually under duress is that I can put on a word-filled recording of music and let my heart and mind just be renewed in the truth that I know. This is a great ministry 
a great opportunity that we have with so much around us. You know, there are some people, some Christians who are so, um, they're, they're listening to so much music. They love music, but so much music out there that just reflects the values of the world. Brothers and sisters, fill your mind with truth that the Spirit may sanctify you through the truth that is sung. Number four, the Spirit uses the sacraments which visualize the Word of God. The Spirit uses the sacraments which visualize the Word of God. Just quickly through this, you know, sometimes we talk about the sacraments as ordinances, and I, I realize that sometimes we're not as comfortable with the word sacrament because it sounds very Catholic, and the Catholic understanding of the sacraments is flawed. Um, but what we're talking about is baptism and the Lord's Supper. And these sacraments, they're called sacraments simply because they point to something greater than themselves. The Puritans used to say, when you come to church, you want to read the word and sing the word and preach the word and pray the word and see the word. And seeing the word was seeing the, the ordinances um, being uh, obeyed and being, being lived out in the church, the baptism and the, and the Lord's Supper. Neither of these, baptism nor the Lord's Supper, works grace in us automatically. That is just by the bare doing of them. Only where faith is operative. But where it is, they become means of grace. The Lord's Supper is a memorial, a reminder of the shed blood and the broken body of our Lord Jesus. But in fact, it is more than that. If it is received in faith and there is a present ongoing effect that comes to us in the Supper... 1 Corinthians says it this way. Paul says, the cup of blessing that we bless, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Calvin said it this way. The Holy Spirit truly unites things that are separated in space, that is Christ and the believer, as he partakes of the supper in true faith. In the supper, in the ordinances, in the sacraments, we see the gospel. We see Christ's body broken for us. We see him offered. We receive him by faith as we partake of the bread. We become one just as the bread becomes part of us. It is the gospel in picture form, and it is the gospel that sanctifies. And in that sense, these means, these ordinances become means of grace. And then lastly, finally, number five, we are sanctified by spiritual praying. Praying that is informed by the word. In every one of these, you see the spirit and the word working together to bring about the effects that God is intending in our lives. Romans chapter eight, we're right here in the text. Verse 26 talks about prayer. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You know, when you're struggling with sin and temptation, when you feel like the eye in Romans chapter 7, remember that from last week? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of sin? I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I do want to do. When you feel like that, when you're overwhelmed, when you don't even hardly know how to pray, but you lift up your head and you say, oh God, help. That is the Spirit interceding through you, interceding on your behalf moving you to cry out to your Abba. 
Jesus Christ himself taught us that sanctification comes through prayer. In John chapter 17, verse 17, he says, Father, sanctify your people. Sanctify them through the truth. And he said, your word is truth. You see there, again, the word is working, but it's coming through prayer. You're praying that the word will be effective in the lives of the people. And that's exactly what we're going to need in order to become holy, more holy people, is to earnestly pray. Here's why. Listen carefully, we're almost done. Prayer is the cry of a heart's dependence on God. That's what prayer is. Prayer is the sincere acknowledgement that sanctification is not something that I can manufacture. That's why prayer is a key element in sanctification. Because it is a recognition that I can't make myself holy. That I can't be diligent enough in just reading and memorizing the word that holiness will automatically happen. It is the work of God. And in all my efforts, it is God that must be effective. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Prayer is the means, is a means of sanctification because it is the expression of reliance on the one who sanctifies. So in all of our spiritual disciplines, let us not think that it is our effort that ultimately is going to be effective, but it is the work of God's grace. And that's what prayer does. I mentioned earlier that some sermons give you something to believe, something to feel, something to value. This is a call to action. This is a call to go out and be doers of the word to make more earnest use of the means of grace, the scriptures, the church, prayer. So this week, young people, download a sermon instead of a new game. This week, listen to a word-filled song instead of another news program. This week, memorize a verse instead of just bemoaning your spiritual failures. This week, read a Christian book instead of more social media posts. This week, pray with a brother or sister rather than just fretting. This week, this next Lord's Day, come to church prepared and expectant rather than reluctant and ritualistically. Because it is in and through these things that the Holy Spirit meets us and he sanctifies us. Octavius Winslow, who was a contemporary and and friend of Charles Spurgeon, preached at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, said this, Give all diligence to the means of grace if you desire a flourishing state of soul. They are divinely appointed channels from the fountain. They are the tributary springs from the great ocean. Those who neglect these means of grace bring dryness, deadness, and barrenness into their souls. Maybe you felt that. Maybe right now you're sitting here and you've, this week and you have felt dry and barren and dead. And I say to you, lay hold of the means of grace more earnestly and pray desperately that those means would become effective and blessed by God for your growth in holiness. 
There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Put yourself in its flow and pray for the sanctifying grace that comes from the Holy Spirit. Our Heavenly Father, please do this work among your people. Please, Lord, I pray that you would not let them rest until they more earnestly latch on to the means of sanctifying grace that you have afforded to us so mercifully. Don't let us alone. Give us a sense of gnawing hunger in our souls, please, O Lord, that cannot be filled by anything but you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.